everyone. This is Alexandra Perry, and you are listening to Investing After Hours, a Wealth Daily podcast. Joining me today is Alex Kleifman, the editor of Penny Stock Millionaire and New Century Report. Alex, how are you? Good. Uh, how are you doing, Allie? Good. Um, I know that we're heading into a new year, and I have a lot of questions for you as we close out this year. Um, and I think maybe the best place to start is a few months ago, you launched a new service focused on helping investors prepare for the worst. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so New Century Report is one of our front-end products, uh, meaning it's on the lower end of the price range. And uh, it basically, it's not really targeting people uh, who want to prepare for the worst per se. Uh, it, it targets industries that are sort of geared for that kind of eventuality. And along with that, it also gives uh, certain lifestyle advice um, for people who do want to, I guess, maybe be a little bit more prepared than others in case certain things shut down that we rely on for our modern society. So uh, there's some talk about, you know, maybe uh, fortifying your home or preparing uh, your food stores, things like that. Uh, nothing nothing too crazy or prepper-ish, but uh, we definitely focus on the investment aspect of, um, of all of that. And so we deal with companies that build that build the diesel engines, for example, because those are considered a lot more Armageddon-proof than a lot of the other more modern stuff that we have nowadays. Farm equipment, things like that. So just about you as an investor, I know that you work primarily with penny stocks. Is there something that you look for when you're looking at these companies that really help you pick out and isolate the winners? Because I imagine there's a lot of companies in this market. Right. So I don't go after companies specifically because they're, you know, they're geared for a prepper type mindset. I don't think that's a really good way to invest. I think that you should always, your first goal should always be to find the company that's going to grow the most. Uh, these right now, they're just, uh, they're a little bit more fashionable, I guess you might say, or timely because uh, a lot of people are seeing volatility and instability coming into modern society. And so uh, even if we may not be getting any closer to the edge than we were before, I believe that people believe we are, and that's going to drive the markets to a certain extent. What do I look for is uh, I take companies uh, that are in industries that are that are generally on the rise. And, uh, you know, like small engine pr- producers are, would be a good example. Home improvement companies, also a good example. And I find the one that has been underperforming as far as stock value goes. So you have an industry that's growing, and you have a stock that's underperforming despite the fact that the company itself is still uh, gaining in line with the industry at large. So that's what I look for. It's a pretty simple filtration method, and it's worked pretty well so far. It goes for uh, everything from home improvement companies all the way to defense companies, which are also in the portfolio. For people that don't necessarily have your service, could you tell us a little bit about um, your track record over the course of the year um, and in the past, just to like, give them a better gauge at some of the gains that they're looking at? Okay, sure. So uh, like I said, this company, uh, this, this pub is aimed at larger stocks than uh, Penny Stock Millionaire, which is the flagship, uh, which is my flagship pub. But these uh, these companies are usually on a larger scale, which means you're not going to see the crazy gains that you will see from smaller companies. Um, we have uh, this year so far, and we launched only at the beginning of the summertime, I believe. We've, uh, we've sold only one position so far, and that was in a defense ETF, and that was for a 47.5% gain. And that was only after a two or three month hold, I believe, uh, which is pretty, 
pretty crazy because I was not expecting that. I was expecting that to be a multi-year hold, given our the president and generally the political environment in the world right now. Another company uh, that's actually still in the portfolio, although it's rated a hold right now, is uh, up 50%, and that's a small military uh, defense contractor. Another one, a larger defense contractor, is up about 35%. And then we have some minor gainers that are in the low double digits or single digits. And we actually do have a couple that are down right now. One of them, ironically, is the only gun manufacturer that we have in the entire portfolio. And the reason that's down is, I guess people aren't so scared of losing their guns under Trump, so they're not buying as many. But I guess we'll see how that goes moving forward. I imagine that that is an interesting situation to gauge because you probably see these things fluctuate back and forth demands for certain markets depending on who's in political power. That's one way of putting it. They called Obama the best gun salesman ever just because all of his rhetoric pushed the gun stocks up way past probably where they should have been. Every time there was a shooting, the next day there would be outrage at the White House. And so people thought that uh, gun control was coming and of course that would cause people to panic and they run to the stores and if they're not buying guns and they're buying ammunition and a lot of the time it's the same manufacturer so so it's interesting because um we're actually the subject of this podcast and what we we're going to talk about is a company that's working to kind of prevent mass shootings before we get to that i kind of want to close your thoughts on 2018 as we're heading into it because like you said you know uh these stocks fluctuate depending on the environment around them are there any things that you're focused on heading into the year, um, not just defense, but like industries that you want to keep an eye on? Uh, for sure. Uh, so the defense industry is always going to be a big one. I think that there's no shortage of political instability around the world. There are hot spots that are waiting to blow over into full-on war. So America uh, being the number one uh, weapons weapons exporter by dollar value in the world by far is uh, definitely, uh, you know, it's on the forefront of any of that. And so I'm going to keep an eye on, on defense specifically. Right now, one of the cool new things that I'm definitely going to be looking at in 2018 is something that's close to your own heart is blockchain technology and companies that are refocusing or somehow changing changing their business model to either get into that or just somehow implement it in their existing business model. I've seen a couple already, uh, and these are usually on the smaller side, that they switch focus and within a week you see the stock shoot up two or three hundred percent. So that kind of growth isn't what we're looking for in New Century Report, but given that cryptocurrencies and blockchain generally address uh, volatility and instability in fiat currencies, it sort of does jive with the whole with the whole mindset of New Century Report. So those two things I think will be big, and then we're probably going to stick with the old boring companies that build diesel engines and saws and stuff like that. So I know one of the things in New Century Report that you're doing is targeting technologies that answer big questions and provide solutions to these big problems. And um, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on not only the mass shooting epidemic that we're seeing in America, because I know that's how you isolated the technology we're about to talk about, but also how do you think is the best way we approach solving the problem? Okay, so uh, my opinion on mass shootings, obviously I'm not a fan. I think that uh, on a statistical level, purely on a statistical level, mass shootings 
do not constitute a huge threat to the average American. I think that, uh, yes, several hundred people per year, and it's crazy to say that several hundred people per year probably at this point are, are killed. Uh, that said, uh, the problem of guns uh, falling into the hands of people who shouldn't have them, uh, I believe, is a problem. And uh, being a gun owner myself and a strong proponent of the Second Amendment, I, I have to feel that way. I don't think that the Second Amendment by any means says that everybody should be able to own and use a firearm as they please. That's not what it says at all. That wasn't the point. The point was, uh, you know, to, to have uh, a well-supplied and ready-to-go militia and to be able to fight government tyranny if and when it's necessary. It's not to go around wreaking havoc on people because you have conflicting political opinions or because there's something wrong with your brain. So uh, that is definitely a problem. Uh, I think it is an epidemic that's going to grow. I don't think the guns are uh, the cause. I think that they're the tool because they're the most convenient and the most effective. I think that the problem is mental health, for sure. I think that the problem is social media, because people that have nothing else going for them in their lives, they see the kind of notoriety that these individuals get in minutes' time. And they think, well, you know, if all else fails, I still have this. I can still go down in history. And we definitely have, I know it's the media's job to do this, but we definitely have the media to blame for glorifying it in the way that they do. And they absolutely do glorify it. So those are my opinions um, on the political level. As far as how to stop it, well, um, banning guns, I don't know uh, if I even want to get into that topic because it's too long of a topic. But uh, essentially, uh, the problem is we can't keep guns out of the hands of people that shouldn't have them, whether these are legally bought guns uh, purchased by people that are mentally defective and it's unknown that they're mentally defective, or it's guns falling into their hands through criminal, criminal means. Either way, they're getting into their hands. Ammunition is readily accessible almost anywhere you go. So what we have to do is we, we have to stop these people when they're at their target. That's the only other way to do it. And how do you do that? These targets, uh, as we've come to know, they usually are places of uh, population concentration. These are schools. Now we have stadiums also, hotels, airports, places like this where people are bottlenecked into relatively uh, relatively small confines and it's like shooting fish in a barrel for lack of a better term and so the company that I've been looking at they have they have taken the concept of metal detection to the next level and they've invented something called cognitive microwave radar and it's cognitive because it actually employs artificial intelligence to be able to tell the difference between something like a watch or a cell phone, or just a pocket full of change, and something dangerous like a knife or a gun or a bomb. And the way it does it is uh, through complicated algorithms that I don't really understand, but it took them years to teach this thing, just through trial and error, and it picked up on patterns, it figured things out. It has something to do with material densities and, of course, the metal content itself, and carbon content within metal, which is something that uh, weapons often differ from, from uh, casual objects that you may have in your pocket. So long story short, this, this smart machine, this computer, is able to distinguish between a weapon and an innocuous object without you having to be searched, without any secondary pat-downs or anything like that. And it can be placed in an environment where the people being scanned don't even know that they're being scanned. So it can be placed into walls, it can, it can be placed under floors, into ceilings, and 
with uh, a radius of about six feet into which it can scan. It, uh, it can cover huge areas, hotel lobby size areas with just several devices. And if something is picked up, it's no longer a matter of approaching this person calmly and patting them down. It's, you know, it's, it's an armed response at this point, and it's almost a 99% certainty that they're going to get the person they're looking for. As the situation unfolded in Las Vegas back in October, it's an absolutely perfect example of where this device would have probably saved 50 lives. And um, the man had to go through, uh, Stephen Paddock had to go through a crowded lobby and uh, he would have been stopped right there, you know, with his 20 or something rifles that he had with him. There would have been uh, very little margin of error. So what you're telling me is that this technology has massive commercial application in a lot of big companies. So we're talking about companies that run airports, hotels, um, federal buildings. Um, would you say that this is an international market that this technology feeds? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's not like violence is a problem that's peculiar only to the, to the United States. There are terrorist threats everywhere, and it absolutely would be an international market. I think uh, I think any major airport would be interested in uh, introducing this kind of thing just because it is so superior to standard metal detection technology. It could actually improve the efficiency of pedestrian movement throughout an airport. You don't have bottlenecks anymore. You don't have to shuffle people one at a time through those gates of a metal detector. So um, it improves foot traffic and it does a better job. Um, I think it's a win-win and it it would be a good thing to have in schools. It's not going to create an air, uh, an air of danger because you can't see this thing. It's not like walking through a metal detector. So putting it into schools and even into places like churches and synagogues would absolutely be a potential application. I know that it sounds kind of depressing that we have to do this kind of thing, but the best we can do is control the situation if we can't change it. Well, budget-wise, you think this technology, it will be accessible to churches and schools? Because I know that's a, that's a big issue with defense sometimes, is that the targeted areas, they don't have the funds to employ an actual security force. Uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, as far as uh, security personnel goes, yeah, it would, this thing would, would obviously summon an armed response that you would not find in a church. The average installation cost, I'm told, is somewhere between fifteen and $25,000 per unit, which covers one entrance. And so uh, for a building like a public high school, for example, they might be able to budget enough to cover the two main entrances for, uh, with two devices. For a church, I don't know. Churches vary in size so greatly. I've seen mega churches that could probably afford to buy as many of these as they want, and then I've seen tiny little churches that couldn't afford even one. But uh, for hotels, for example, in Las Vegas, uh, you'd probably be looking at 50 to 100 of these devices uh, per, per building, and those businesses can obviously afford them, and they have all the interest in the world to do so. What about a federal market? Because I imagine that the United States government would be very interested in providing Yeah, huge, this. absolutely huge, because this, this plays into our defense budget, which is the biggest in the world by far. And uh, federal buildings are a huge threat. They have uh, very cumbersome, inefficient security protocols as it is. And this would improve them. This would possibly even be cheaper because it requires fewer personnel to man the thing. So this technology has, well, it can apply to international markets. It certainly attracts federal attention. It's small, discreet. Um, it's kind of the answer that a lot of people have been looking for in this conversation where there seems to be no happy middle ground between banning guns 
upping security. Um, nobody can decide. And one of the things I wanted to talk about is the profit opportunity. This is actually making a profit on a technology that is saving human lives. And I know that you've done some of the math and looked at the potential of this technology and its commercial application, and you might have some of those numbers. Uh, yeah, uh, I have numbers, and we actually have an example of what happens after one of these shootings. So after the Stephen Paddock incident in Las Vegas, uh, this company actually received their FCC approval the very next day. And uh, with the two events working together, the stock nearly tripled over the next month. So again, as you said, nobody likes to make money off this kind of thing. But watching very predictable things happen on the stock market is hard to ignore it, first of all. Um, as far as the profit potential goes, we've done the basic numbers on this stuff. And Las Vegas alone is something like a $180 million market uh, for this company. Across the country, and these numbers are very, very broad, of course, uh, we're in the tens of billions already. And likely this company won't capture the entire market, at least not initially, but even a small, even a small fraction of that compared to the company's current market capitalization would, uh, would amount to probably a 10x growth for, for the company over the next two to three years, putting it into a, a billion dollar mark, which I think is fully, fully reasonable to expect and even conservative. So I know you have a presentation about this company coming. I'm going to make sure to link to it in our podcast below so that investors who are interested in learning about this opportunity can learn more, not only about what the company does, but, you know, commercial application and take the thoughts we've had in this podcast to a further place. Um, before we close the podcast, I kind of wanted to get your thought on the markets as we head into 2018. Uh, yeah, well, you know, we're, we're in a nine-year bull market, so... I think people have been saying that we should be expecting a major correction or even a recession for the last three or four or five of those years. I really don't know. I think that right now it's really hard to gauge investor sanity in my mind because it seems like a lot of the traders that are really coming into their own right now don't even remember 2008. And so they think that uh, infinity is really the goal here for everything they buy. And it's, it's really hard to say when reality is going to hit or if it ever will. But um, I, I believe that in order for that to happen, we need to have a serious, serious political shakeup in the country. Because uh, it's only that kind of thing, uh, either that or a war, that really shakes people back into, well, it shakes them into a different, into a different mindset altogether, which is what's going to need to happen. Because right now, it seems that every time we celebrate a new milestone on the Dow, the expectation is we're going to celebrate another one a week from now, you know. Like past performance is going is a is a perfect indicator of future performance, which is what we were taught to do the opposite of, is not to use it as an indicator of future performance. And we are. Is something coming? Probably. When? I'm not even going to try to venture a guess. Just to try to play along with it. Okay. Well, Alex, thank you for joining us on the podcast and taking time to talk about this company. For everyone that is interested in learning more, make sure to check out our links below. Um, we'll also include links to Penny Stock Millionaire and New Century Report for those that are interested in learning more. Alex, I hope you have a great holiday. You too. Absolutely.